HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm one of HRN's interns, Nina Medvinskaya, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week's topic, the marriage of food and danger. Sometimes danger lurks in the food that we eat. So instead of saying what is poisonous, I'd rather say what's not because it's literally just the flesh and the fins. Food poisoning doesn't just threaten our bodies but it endangers our environment as well. The emissions of JBS combined with the other top five meat companies exceed the annual emissions of Exxon, Shell, or BP. For more, tune into this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and welcome to the last episode of 2018 for Eat Your Words, and uh, we're going on a holiday break after this, and we'll see you after the new year, but it's really fun to kind of look back at the year of cookbooks. I think that 2018 has been a really fun one, and especially in the fall, there's just a slew of great books out. Um, I think they make great holiday gifts, so for those looking for... Uh, book ideas, cookbook ideas for their loved ones or just acquaintances, bosses, <laughs> who knows what. Um, hopefully my guest today might have something to say about that because she has written um, a best-selling cookbook called Small Victories. She is also uh, written and uh, she's, sorry, contributed to a numerous cookbooks. Um, she has uh, written last year, Feed the Resistance, and we spoke to her last October about that uh, cookbook. It was actually named um, Eater's Cookbook of the Year for 2017. So her current cook her current cookbook, her latest cookbook, just came out um, this fall from Chronicle. It is called Now and Again, Go-To Recipes, Inspired Menus, and Endless Ideas for Reinventing Leftovers. It is none other than Julia Tertian, who's on the line right now. Thanks so much for having me back on. Yeah, thanks. Welcome back to the show. Um, so this book has also seen a lot of great accolades so far. It's been on a lot of those best of the year cookbook lists that I've been seeing a lot lately this season. Um, so congrats to that. Thank you. Really exciting. Um, and, you know, as a recipe developer, a longtime food writer, and you've also been a radio host for Cherry Bomb Radio. Um, what And, you know, having written this book 
I think looking back at now, three cookbooks you've written, what do you think are some hallmarks of a great cookbook that you're sort of striving towards in your work? Sure. Well, yeah, no, thanks so much for all the <laughs> kind words. <laughs> it makes me feel kind of old. <laughs> but, um, I think some of the hallmarks in a great cookbook are, are mostly just having an author that you can trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it all boils down to trust. So, you know, having a recipe that you know that you can follow it and it's going to, you know, turn out okay. It's going to answer any questions you might have. You know, there's a lot of uh, thoughtfulness put into mm-hmm. writing that recipe and, and testing it. Uh, you know, having stories that, uh, you know, inspire you to get in the kitchen, maybe, you know, make your world a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's always really great. So, yeah. yeah, I think finding a cookbook that has both a voice you enjoy, uh, you know, sort of listening to and also a voice that you can really trust when it comes to the recipes themselves. Well, that's a really interesting answer going for the personality um, and the person that, you know, the trust. Um, I wonder if that's why we see a lot of like cookbooks that are from some familiar person, uh, whether they be a celebrity or, you know, a a chef that has written already a, a number of cookbooks and people just have that, you know, that sense of trust with them. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'm, you know, I've loved cookbooks forever. I've I've worked on them, you know, it's been my whole career, but it started even earlier than that. You know, I, I learned to cook by reading cookbooks when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always loved them, and what draws me to them both as a, you know, as a reader and consumer, but also as someone who makes them is, is the person and is the stories. Yeah. And, you know, I love the food so much. You know, I'm thinking about dinner when I'm eating breakfast. <laughs> like, um, But I, I love the stories behind yeah. the food just, you know, just sure. as much, if not even more. So was it a little intimidating when you were writing your first cookbook? It was like, oh, it's, it's you know, it's me. It's a fresh voice for the world of cookbooks. Were you like, how do I, how do I present myself? Sure, yeah. I mean, it was a big difference because I went into my first cookbook having, um, you know, co-authored or collaborated on, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how many, maybe close to 10 books at that point. Um, and that's still work I do. I, I continue to collaborate on lots of books and I, I love that work. Um, but, you know, sort of comparing that experience to getting to do my first book on my own, it was really, really different. And, mm-hmm. um it was a much more kind of quiet process, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, just me and my kitchen and my computer. Yeah. Um, it was much more, I would say, probably efficient because, you know, there was no scheduling with anyone, just just myself. Sure. Um, but the thing where I really noticed the big difference was, and the biggest kind of learning curve for me when I did Small Victories, which was my first book on my own, wasn't in making the book. It was in getting the word out about the book. Uh, I went into making it, you know, with all this experience. So I felt very familiar with the process. But, um, you know, when I collaborate with other people on their books, I'm not usually involved in promoting it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So promoting my first book was such, uh, um, you know, it felt like a a crash course. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where I felt like I had the most to learn within that experience. Huh. Now, is it different now with now and now and again um, out and since you have done so much more work you're a bit more of a household name if you will um, you've, this is your third cookbook after all um, how is the process any different this time? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has been different. I would say in two ways. One, you know, it's not my first time doing it, so there's it, it feels less scary, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. honest. And you know, I just, um, you know, I've I've done it before, so I know uh, kind of a little bit more about what to expect. And um, you know, it just it feels 
more familiar um, and less unknown. And the other thing that feels really different is the book I did in between um, Small Victories and Now and Again, which was Feed the Resistance, which we got to talk about last year and um, which was so great. You know, that book was so different and um, it was not me alone by any Mm -hmm. means. That book was from an amazing community. There were over 20 contributors. Um, Promoting that book was all about plugging into community wherever I went. And that experience has really just kind of changed my life. (laughs) Um, And it's made me want to do that in whatever I'm working on. So even Mm -hmm. though now and again is, you know, absolutely, you know, my own cookbook, there aren't other contributors to it. In promoting it, my goal has been to just plug into community Mm. as much as possible. And it's made my my book tour and just promoting the book, it it feels really meaningful. And it also feels more fun. (laughs) You know, it's more fun to be with with people you know or want to know and to get to, you know, know their communities, you know, wherever I go. So that's been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. And, you know, just as a reminder to folks, the Feed Your Resistance was... Um, all proceeds were donated to the ACLU. Mm-hmm. So it was a mission-oriented you know, oriented cookbook or project. Um, so that's really cool that you know, the lessons learned and, and the fun had has lent itself to this project. Um, let's talk about the subject. Um, you write that it had gone through some evolution in your introduction, um, the idea of making a book about leftovers. Um, curious, when did this you know, urge to write a book based on how to use up leftovers? When did that come? Was this like a long, long-burning desire of yours to, to focus on? Yeah, I have always loved leftovers. Um, I feel like the world is kind of like people who, you know, you can draw a line, people who love them or hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been very proudly on, on Team Leftovers. Um, and I think that's something that's been kind of ingrained in me from a young age. Um, my Like one of my favorite childhood memories is... Uh, on Sundays, my dad would make what I considered to be like the best sandwiches in the world from whatever was left over mm. from Saturday night. And nice. my family wasn't, uh, you know, my like nuclear family wasn't one that sat down to dinner every night. Both my parents worked full time. So Saturday night was pretty much the only time we would eat together as a family. Um, so Sunday when we had, you know, sandwiches made from the leftovers, it kind of helped extend that sort of... Hmm you know, meaningful time. So it's always really stayed with me that, you know, the best part of a meal is sometimes, you know, the sandwich the next day. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I, I and like, so I've always just loved them. And it's it's been something I've always wanted to work on a book about because it's, it's how I cook now in my own home with my wife, Grace, because we live in a very rural area. So we don't go out to dinner, you know, mm-hmm. we're not at, you know, ordering takeout or anything. And, um, I'm always cooking more than we can, you know, possibly eat in one meal because I always want to have leftovers on hand because I love to cook, but I don't want to start from scratch every time. So, yeah, I had been um, kind of taking this lifelong love of leftovers and the sort of practical way I I cook now and had been thinking about it and really kind of thought it would be a great idea for a book. And I had been sitting on the idea for a while, and I, um, I pitched it right when... Small Victories came out, so, you know, a little over two years ago, and um, my original idea was just to do a small book just about reinventing leftovers, because I thought it would be a really fun book and, you know, sort of show how creative you can be with leftovers and, Mm -hmm. um, and resourceful, too. 
And I just felt like as I was working on it, and it was before I even sent it to any publisher or anything, I was just, you know, just me by myself working on, yeah. yeah, like a book proposal. And I was like, this isn't enough because if I'm telling you how to reinvent something, but where I don't do you give start? you yeah. something, yeah, where do I start? And is the it going to be enough? Or the egg. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it totally evolved into um, the book it now is, which is a book full of of menus, um, you know, really simple recipes to make, you know, that whole meal, and then ways to reinvent the leftovers from those meals. Mm. So it evolved um, into this bigger book that I think is just ultimately so much more useful. And it's also really meaningful because now and again I got to, um, like we were just talking about a few minutes ago, I got to include all the stories, yeah. um, you know, behind the meals. So it's, it's okay. very personal. I love that you liken creating a meal to storytelling. Mm. And and I can see when you were describing your Saturday meals with your family, that it's sort of like reliving the last week, like the best hits, or <laughs> yeah. like the, the food that everybody sort of ate individually. Um together and um and then sharing that it, it's it's a kind of neat idea of like coming together and revisiting your lives throughout the week um but but you liken creating a meal to the idea of storytelling and connecting and i i think that's that's a really interesting um philosophy you also say that you know food is an effective way of chronicling life um, tell me a little bit more about how these pieces come, come together and, and tell the story. Sure, yeah. I mean, for me, food is how I um, am able to access all my memories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like in telling you about growing up and, um, you know, my family eating together on Saturdays and then the sandwiches my dad would make on Sundays. Um, you know, within that, I'm also telling you about the dynamics of my family, you know, that I had yeah. parents who work full-time, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I could go into more detail, but it's, I'm able to get to that memory through remembering, you know, the sandwich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, food brings yeah. back so many details for me, and it's how I've really, I just, I feel like in my my mind, just how I've kind of categorized the sort of, like, you know, file cabinet. Yeah, <laughs> it punctuates. My memory. Yeah, yeah so it really helps. Uh, bring me back to certain memories, and I think it it does the same for so many people because food is you know involves so many senses, which is kind of obvious, but I think it's you know helpful to think about when we think about our own kind of um, memories and lives, and um, you know when you remember what something tasted like and smelled like, and you know all that, you also remember kind of the feeling at the table and, and yeah. who you were with. So you know, food is how I've um, you know not only remembered all these things, but kind of have been able to, you know, articulate these stories in my life. So when I think about building, um, you know, a menu for a meal, which can sound, I think, even just saying that can sound like a little, you know, intimidating. Intimidating, Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, to me, that's as much about buying like a, you know, bag of potato chips with your sandwich or something. (laughs) It's just, you know, kind of rounding it out. And Mm -hmm. I always feel like, and figuring out what goes with what, it's kind of like creating a story. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, if your main dish and it's like supporting characters and that kind of thing. And, you know, and when you have people over, you know, friends or family, um, you're sort of setting a scene a little bit and you're you're telling a story. And I think what happens over that meal kind of fills in in the blanks. I love that fittingly you have like photographs sprinkled throughout this cookbook of of you as a little kid there's some little scraps of like a menu of julia's place and you know there's is this a menu that you wrote when you were little like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a lot of um 
yeah, a lot of just personal little mm-hmm. details sprinkled in. And there's just so many throughout the book that are probably not even that obvious. And it's it's just a nice way to kind of, um, you know, weave in these really personal details. Yeah, it helps like, you know, it helps flesh out what you're describing right now. Um, I, I love that, you you know, you write that a lot of these recipes that you make on a daily basis, um, you know, living in a rural place, come from a place of plenty. So you're gathering together things that you made too much of, but intentionally, you know, make a little bit more than you need, and then casting it, if you will, into the next day's meal. But I, I have a little question for you, because I mm-hmm. sometimes... Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm always chasing after a state of a blank slate in my fridge, which obviously never happens because, you know, as much as I want to like repurpose something and before I make something new, something new gets made, then have a little bit more of something. And I have like all these pieces, right. Um, which is great for creating with, but how do you make sure that nothing gets like left to the wayside, left on the, like, the editor's floor, if you will. So within the book or within my own Oh, just like, yeah, in general, when you're like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like, this might sound really boring, but I think just being very, um, like, mindful of how you organize your refrigerator (laughs) makes a really big difference. No, that's true. If I open my fridge right now, it's not, like... It's not very neat at all, but I just know where everything is. <laughs> and, it's your fridge. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think there's two things that come to mind that are just just logistics that really okay. kind of I, I want to know the question. One is clear I don't want to waste. Okay, um, so you can see what's in them because <laughs> so often we put food in containers where you can't see what's in it, and you just forget about it. And, totally. And if you don't have clear containers, you don't have to go out and buy a whole new thing. I think a great thing to do is what happens in lots of, lots of um, restaurant kitchens, which is to get some masking tape or, like, painter's tape um, and just put a piece of tape on your, you know, container that's not clear um, and just write what's in it. Because, and the tape. You know, yeah. it's like papers mm-hmm. on your desk or something. It's like you yeah. think you know what they are, but if you don't kind of label them, like, you know, that pile will just grow and grow. I'm really just speaking to myself right now. Yeah, no, that's... Um, And then my other thing is to kind of put older things, um, you know, something maybe, you know, let's say today's Sunday, so something I cooked maybe this past Tuesday or something, I try to pull that towards the front of my fridge. Things get lost in the back all the time. Um, (laughs) So I try to kind of keep the things that need to be used uh, towards the front, (laughs) Um, put the fresher stuff kind of behind it. uh, So if it gets a little lost for a day or two, you know, not the end of the world. So, yeah, just knowing what's there, being able to see it. Um, I guess this I is like it makes a big difference. Yeah, grocery store stocking one hundred and one too. Push the <laughs> stuff that needs to, you know, exactly. it's going to expire towards the front. Exactly. No, that's exactly. actually super helpful for me at least. So thank you. And oh, sure. um, food waste, you know, hopefully we won't we won't have that problem too much. Um, but uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about these great recipes. It looks like it's time for a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back chatting more. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Next year, Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, 
and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and wish HRN a happy birthday. All right, we're back chatting more with Julia Tertian. Her latest book is called Now and Again. So this uh, cookbook is organized in a really interesting way. Um, you just described how you wanted to write a leftovers book, but it wasn't enough. So each recipe is more like a menu. I mean, each... Uh, how do I say? <laughs> how, I, yeah. I describe it as the book is um, organized into seasons. Mm-hmm. So it's broken up, you know, by... Um, Autumn, winter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fall, winter, spring, summer. And then within each season, um, there's five menus per season. Right. And so each menu includes um, anywhere from... I don't know, probably three four, at the yeah. least. And, yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. You know, probably four, about four or five recipes, recipes yeah. on average. Um, and the goal is for each menu to feel like if you wanted to make everything on it, you totally can. Um, mm-hmm. And every single menu has a timetable so you can know what you can make in advance and all that kind of really helpful stuff. And the other kind of hope I have for the book is that, you know, you don't have to follow it exactly as is. You can take yeah. one recipe from one menu, mix it with another, or just make something on its own, um, you know, do whatever you want. But it's it's all there if you want to make the whole thing, um, and I'll walk you through the whole thing, you know, the timetable, all the, all the tips and all mm-hmm. that. But um, it's also, you know, absolutely a book you can kind of treat like any other cookbook that's organized just by, um, you know, categories like you know soups and salads or breakfast and actually at the very end of the book I did break down all the recipes into Ah, lists like that so it's it's very easy to navigate that's nice but then there's that brilliant section called it's me again (laughs) where you have all these suggestions for leftovers to do with the with the meat with the recipes in that meal exactly so uh, I think that's really clever yeah it comes after each menu so it's it's nice because um, I, I thought about, you know, just doing after every single recipe. I mean, this is getting sort of like nitty gritty about the, uh, you know, kind of details of cookbook organization. But I thought about following each recipe with ideas okay. to do the leftovers. Yeah. But then I thought what felt more true to just how I, you know, cook in my own home was kind of mixing and matching stuff from whatever I made yesterday, which might not be just one standalone recipe. So some of the leftover ideas kind of combine things from a couple mm-hmm. of recipes, mm-hmm. which is sort of fun. So I love that. Yeah. I love it. And it sounds like each menu is like a real, are they like real events that happen? There's like card night enchiladas. There's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. lazy something, you know, breakfast, and, you know, so forth. Yeah, I would say, I mean, they're all definitely things I've made at this point because I've tested all the recipes, like, exhaustively. Yeah, um, at at this point, sure. Yeah, but I, when I was writing the book and kind of, because the way I approach writing my cookbooks is I I write everything before I test it. You know, Mm -hmm. I write all my recipes and um, and a lot I'm doing kind of from memory of, of things I've made before. Uh, but, you know, when I was writing all these menus, lots of them were things I had made um, before of complete menus, you know, when we had friends over or, you mm-hmm. know, hosting family for a holiday, that kind of thing. And a couple of them I sort of, you know, I felt like, oh, I, you know, I need something else in, in the yeah. spring section. And 
I sort of fantasized about a meal I might want to have. And then it was pretty cool because I got to write it down and then actually make it. (laughs) That's super fun. And there's some things that, you know, I love that you have like this sort of like really flexible attitude. And that's um, totally encapsulated in a meal called Feast of the Almost Seven Fishes. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares if you don't have seven? Yeah. I love yeah, that. I was working on that one, and I um, the recipes I really wanted to do, and I added it all up. You know, it wasn't quite seven. <laughs> I think there's five, but I felt like that was still plenty. <laughs> seven, maybe six or five fishes, and then some veggies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, bump up the ratio there <laughs> to your liking. Um, this one is really, um, really cool. I never thought of this one for, like, a leftover's sort of reinvention or reincarnation, but you have an Italian flag baked pasta and it's a beautiful like big ZD type dish. Um, but you write each of the components of this easy baked pasta dish can have a life of its own. I thought that was a really fun way to look, think about it. Um, Cause you think of this one dish sort of casserole as a definitely like a congealed thing on its own, but then we can break apart some of the ingredients and let them shine on their own. Absolutely. And I feel like it's such a good um, thing for all of us home cooks to be reminded of that when we're making any dish that has kind of more than one component in it, you know, so that baked pasta, you make this kind of super, super easy, um, like meat sauce with ground turkey and, you know, canned tomatoes. Uh, You mix that with cooked pasta and then this mixture of... um, of uh, frozen spinach with some creme fraiche and and Parmesan cheese. And, you know, you mix all that together to make this really delicious kind of baked ziti type of baked pasta. And that's so, so good. (sighs) But when you're making it, each of those things exactly can kind of live on its own. Um, You know, that easy, you know, turkey meat sauce is like a great kind of weeknight sort Mm -hmm. of pasta sauce. It's like a great Mm -hmm. thing to keep in the freezer. (laughs) Um, You know, that spinach um, and creme fraiche mixture is like so delicious. Mm. Like sometimes when I make that baked pasta, I just find myself like eating it with a spoon, (laughs) like that part of it. Or spreading on toast maybe. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, and it's good to remember when we're making other things that have kind of more than one part to it to just remember that each of those parts is, you know, its own great thing. Yep. And they can jump from cuisine and continent to another. So, for instance, you have this curried scrambled egg salad um, after a a scrambled egg whole wheat. Okay, so there's this breakfast dish, right? So Mm -hmm. a menu. Um, You have cumin flatbreads, um, uh, what's it called? Scrambled egg with cilantro, coconut chutney, and so forth. But one of the leftover It's Me Again suggestions is to take that flatbread, the whole wheat flatbread, and then to make individual like pizzas with them. So it's, it's an interesting way of like seeing, you know, a very uh, Bangladeshi inspired breakfast turn into pizza. Exactly. Or part of it. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think that uh, it's interesting that you, know, you write in the introduction that, um, you know, some parting wisdom is very intriguing. Um, you leave us off with, um, a tip by way or a suggestion by way of Nicole Taylor, who's a food writer and former host here at Heritage mm-hmm. Radio Network, and um, who let, who asked you a question that you said has changed your outlook um, on cooking. Can you tell us a little bit about what that sure, was? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Nicole, this was a couple of years ago. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and Nicole is, as you mentioned, just an awesome cookbook author and, yeah, former radio host. And we were talking about all the kinds of things, you know, I've been talking about 
now just, you know, meals you can make for people, ways those meals can bring mm-hmm. people together and all that, you know, kind of really positive stuff. Um, and Nicole asked me, when was the last time I had invited someone over who didn't look like me? And it was such a simple question um, and one that really sort of challenged me in a way that I think is really, really useful and um, kind of reminded me of the power of my own kitchen table (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. to kind of help, you know, expand community um, and and perspective and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that question is is one we should, you know, all be asking ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. not just what are we talking about, but what are we actually doing and and who are we inviting into our own homes and um, who are we getting to know and who are we allowing to get to know us? Um, And I think that question is, you know, not only people who might not look like you, but maybe people who don't think like you or or vote like you or just have a different life experience than you. And, you know, our... um our meal times and our homes and our kitchens are such powerful places to just, you know, get people comfortable to have what are sometimes uncomfortable conversations. And I think it's one of the highest powers of of food and of bringing people together is to, you know, not just, you know, have a good time, which is also really important, but also to have, um, you know, really just, yeah, valuable Mm -hmm. and, and meaningful conversations. Yeah. And not to get too cheesy, but, you know, reading the rest of this book, I got the feeling that that inclusive attitude and bringing together seemingly disparate elements or um, it seems to be reflected in the food choices made throughout this mm-hmm. book, too. You know, so, you know, gathering around various different uh, ingredients and parts of dishes um, is, is a, a wonderful act of sort of um, embracing all these different things, stories, if you will. And, um, and it sounds like, you know, we should all think about, you know, taking that attitude outside of the kitchen, too, as, as we enjoy our food with others. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's so, uh, you know, such a big part of, of my life to, um, you know, try and connect with community as much as possible, just like we were talking about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And to me, it, it just, it all starts in my kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> um, Even if it's just what I'm cooking and who mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, with that recipe, you know, who I learned it from or, you know, what part of the world it comes from that I want to, you know, get to know better and, and honor and, right. you know, be respectful towards. As they say, the way you cook reflects your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So it looks like that's about all the time we have today. But Julia, what are some fun upcoming community events or or maybe um, things that you've already done <laughs> for this cookbook, if not are quite so upcoming? Um, yeah, no, this has gone by so fast. It's such a, just a pleasure to talk yeah. with you, um, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, my book tour has kind of wrapped, but it, it kind mm-hmm. of lives it lives on on Instagram. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I got to kind of highlight lots of, you know, special people and places along the way. So I've, I keep finding myself kind of looking back on old pictures, which is really oh fun. Oh, my goodness. That's so and fun. just kind of, a, you know, it's it's really, I mean, this is a sidebar, but it's really fascinating to be a cookbook author in the age of social media, you know, <laughs> to see people sharing recipes, but also to get to remember all these experiences. is right. super cool. Um, that's, a, that's another up, layer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And coming up for me, I guess the thing I'm most excited about right now. Oh, your podcast! Is, yeah. Oh my god, I totally forgot to mention that. And, um, oh yeah. no, that's totally cool. And so, yeah, congrats joining, joining you on the on the airwaves. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's just a nice way. I mean, it's, I don't have to tell you, yeah, but you know, it's calm. just a nice way mm-hmm. to continue having really meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. So, it's nice. called Keep Calm and Cook On, and With it's Julie. on you know all the 
iTunes and uh, what else? Stitcher and Spotify, you know, Mm -hmm. places where people listen to podcasts. You can find it. It's so exciting, Julia. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. Definitely check out. And it just came out, so much excitement. I hope, um, you know, I hope everyone checks it out. Keep calm and cook on with Julia Tertian, right? Yeah, you got it. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll we'll be tuning into that. And um, meanwhile, I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday season um, filled with uh, the books and the food and the people that you love. So um, thanks again, Julia, for talking about now and again. Oh, thanks for having me. And I'll... like I have to mention to support your local bookstore. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, wherever that may be. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see you next year on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.